0: Father, we come this morning and we come to the altar as we have sung and we come in expectation that you will meet us here. You have invited us into your presence. And so, Lord, would you speak? Would you open up our ears to hear you? Give us eyes to see you, hearts to know you today. As you reveal yourself to us, continue to reveal yourself to us, oh God. And may your word this morning, God, go out and not return to your void as, as you have promised. Let it do the work that it is meant to do in the hearts of those who would hear it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Morning, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin. I'm a pastor. I serve here on staff at Bayview Glen Church. My title is Multiplication and Mobilization Pastor. Do not ask me what that means because I will not be able to tell you. (laughs) Not true. I would love to have a conversation with you about that. So that's who I am. But the man in the picture behind me, his name is Randy Pausch. As you can see, Randy is a father of three. He's a husband of one wife, her name is Jay. He was also a professor of computer science at Carnegie Mellon University. And he was also a dreamer. He had a dream of becoming an NFL player as a child. Um, That didn't quite work out the way he wanted to. He also had a dream of becoming Imagineer at Disney, which he did have an opportunity to do. As part of the faculty at Carnegie Mellon, Uh, One of the opportunities that Randy had was to participate in a series of lectures that they called The Last Lecture. And what they would um, ask their faculty and their professors to do was to ruminate about their, uh, the day of their death. To think, if I were to go, what would I leave with the people I love most? What would I say to some of my students if I had some last words to impart to them, words of wisdom, words of, of impact? What kind of a legacy would I want to leave? And so, he was slotted in September in 2008 to deliver this last lecture, if you will. But Randy Pausch, as he was preparing for this moment in his life, a month prior to it, he received a surprise diagnosis of terminal pancreatic cancer. And he was given three to six months of good health Left to live in the world. And so, very quickly, this last lecture for Randy Pausch became more than merely a mental exercise, it became real life. But Randy, ever the optimist, wrote a lecture and delivered a lecture entitled, Really Achieving Your Childhood Dreams. Now, this last lecture of Randy Pausch's was posted online, and it went on to become an internet sensation. It went viral very quickly, spawned a New York Times best-selling book called The Last Lecture. And Randy just left words for his family, his students, for all of us, talking about, not about dying, but about really living. We've been studying the book of John, and we're in a spot in the book of John that is called the Farewell Discourse. Jesus, in the first 12 chapters, has gone about doing his ministry, and now the narrative slows down, and he finds himself with his disciples. And if you look at chapter 13, which we're, we're going to go to, our, our passage today is actually in chapter 17. Why don't you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 17, um, anywhere between 13 and 17 is fine. We're going to be jumping around in the whole farewell discourse. Um, there's a seat, the Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you have a device, go ahead and pull that up. Or you're going to want to keep your, your finger there. This is Jesus' last lecture, his farewell discourse. And for Jesus... Unlike Randy Pouch, there was really never a time in his life that he didn't know what his end would be. His whole life was lived in obedience to his Father. He knew what was coming. He was looking at Square in the eye. His life was simply a trajectory to this end point, his death on the cross for the salvation of the world. You may even think he, he planned his entire life for this moment that he could have thought for years what he was going to say to his disciples. And so he speaks in his farewell discourse, much like Randy Pausch, not as a man who's about to die, but unlike Randy Pouch, he speaks as a man who transcends time. Because Jesus knows that he will continue to be present. He may not be present physically or corporeally with his disciples, but he will be there through his spirit who he promises to give them. And he himself will return at the end of the age. And so he says these words, this farewell discourse, this last lecture to his disciples who are in hearing of him, but the words aren't just for them. They are for you and they are for me because Jesus speaks in a way that transcends time. And so we have the words of his last lecture. These five chapters of the farewell discourse, you will find that it is amongst the most profound teaching that the Bible has to offer about discipleship and God, about the life of the believer and our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In these five chapters, Jesus talks about being the vine and we the branches and how we, when we have life connected to him, we can abide and we can bring forth fruit into the world. He talks about loving one another and what it is to live a life that reflects that this posture of Jesus, he who loved more than anyone else and showed it most profoundly upon his, with his death on the cross, talks about the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned before, the coming of the paraclete, the helper to speak to us and to direct us in our lives. Now, I've said this before when I preached the book of John, and I'm a proponent of this. Two things, right? One, Bible memorization, and number two, reading the Bible in chunks, not cherry-picking, the verses that you want to hear that, that you can apply to your life, but seeing the grand meta narrative of what God is trying to accomplish through his plan of salvation. We can only see that when we read the Bible in chunks. So, as your pastor, I am going to tell you, go home, turn off Netflix for about an hour, turn off Instagram, you can put the Umbrella Academy or Marie Kondo, whatever you're watching on Netflix right now, you can set it aside for a moment or two. I want you to take the time to read chapters 13 through 17 in one sitting. Because I guarantee you, if you do that, you will encounter Jesus in a new and fresh way. I did over 20 years ago when God poured out His Holy Spirit on me through the book of John. You will encounter a Jesus who loves, a Jesus who laments. A Jesus who longs. You will encounter a Jesus whose heart breaks and whose heart braves and whose heart blesses. You will encounter Jesus in all of his humanity and all of his deity. Jesus, fully God and fully man. And it is because he is Jesus, fully God and fully man, that he can utter the words of chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, the first words in Christ, what we call the high priestly prayer. He without any hint of arrogance, without any hint of overstatement, can say these words. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Can any of you say that? Glorify me, God? No, Jesus can Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, this is just so jam-packed, Five verses in this book. And each verse, each verse could very well fill a sermon in and of itself, or maybe more. When I was going through this verse, I just I, I took every verse and I just started asking questions about this verse. What is this hour that Jesus is about? What does it mean that he can give eternal life? What is eternal life? And how do we talk about that? What is the authority that he's been imbued with? What does it mean that he is going to be glorified? All of that could fill I mean, we've already been going slow enough, right, through to. We don't want to take five sermons to unpack five verses. So having said that, I'm going to focus in on one thing. And to do that, we need to take a look back at chapter 13. So if you turn back to chapter 13 with me. The setting is this. At the beginning of chapter 13, this is, this is a shift in the narrative. If, you read, if you've read from chapter 1 to 12, uh, you will find that when it comes to the point where Jesus is with his disciples, and at the beginning of chapter 13, he washes disciples' feet, which is the most countercultural, the most audacious act that the Son of God could do. Right? Well, not the most, maybe the second most. But here he, but here he is in this act of love bending down at the feet of his disciples and washing them out of love. And during that time, there was also the discussion about the one who would betray him. And so Jesus makes it clear that one of them would. Judas gets up and leaves in order to do the thing he's about to do. And that then shifts into the point where Jesus begins his last lecture in earnest. John chapter 13, verse 31. Jesus says this, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. These are the first words of his farewell discourse. This is the first words of his last lecture. I want you to fast forward. Let's go back to 17, verse 1. The Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. This is in verse 13. And then in 17, it says, Glorify your Son, so that your son may glorify you. Look at the way that this is structured, okay? The son of man glorified, and then Jesus asked God to glorify him, your son, so that God could be glorified in him, so that the son may glorify you. This is essentially the exact same phrase that Jesus is using at the beginning of his farewell discourse and then nearing the end. These serves as bookmarks or bookends for what he's going to talk about so when you see that happen you wouldn't see this happen if you just you know read a, a verse here and there when you sit down and you read the whole thing you see these patterns emerge this is what i love about scripture right scripture is just like expletive amazing all right just it there's a beauty there's a structure there's a way that john over uh the time that he spent mulling over before writing this gospel Pouring into it, thinking through everything that he wrote, there is um, um, there there are things. There's a beauty to it that you can't see unless you you read the whole thing through. And so here he is, bookmark bookending what he's saying in the farewell uh, farewell discourse with these two things, talking about glory, and he's saying, pay attention. And so that is what we're going to zero in on today: is this this thing called glory. Now, the Gospel of John has been referred to as the Gospel of Glory. It's 42 occurrences of this word. The word doxa, or it's derivative, doxazo. 42 times, To, glory, to um, the word glory and the word glorify happens in the book of John. Um, you may be familiar with the, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? Have you heard this before? What is the chief end of man? If you know it, it's, it's to... Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This whole idea of glory, if you read through the Bible, it's everywhere. God is obsessed with His own glory. Not obsessed in a way where, you know, He has mental health issues, but, you know. But rightly, because He is the creator of the universe, He is the Alpha and Omega, and His desire is to bring Himself glory because He deserves it. This is why we gather together like this, right? This is why we come, to worship Him, because He deserves the glory, and so glory in our lives is a very important concept for us to grasp, for us to understand, and us for us to live out. How do we glorify God? So glory really is simply this. Glory is the manifestation of God. Glory is the manifestation of God. It is what we can observe about his majesty, what we can observe about his power, his wisdom, his infinity. It is the manifestation of his character, who he truly is. God reveals himself to us through his glory. And that glory is revealed in a number of ways throughout time and space. The first one is very obvious. God reveals himself through creation. God reveals himself through creation. If you look at Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I don't know if you've ever stopped if you're somewhere like north, where there isn't a lot of you know, light pollution, and you really take a look up at the sky, it might look like this. If you're lucky, it might look like this. That is the night sky filled with stars. What you may not, know, what you may not think about when you look at this picture is that is that is a very small snatch, snapshot of the observable universe from a particular point on our Earth. And that's only a small sampling subset of the actual stars that are, that are there. These are the stars that are visible because a photographer set his, um, set his camera to have the aperture open and the shutter speed like very long opening so he could capture all of this light coming at him, right? You may not be able to see it this way. But if you were to see every star that is in this picture, if you could actually see all of the light from all of the stars that are actually there, it would be white. You would not see this. Did you know that the size of the universe is 93 billion light years in diameter? 93 billion light years. A light year, for those of you who may not know, is not a measurement of time. It's a measurement of distance. It is the, the the distance a photon of light would travel if it were given a year to travel at the speed of light. So the speed of light or, or one light year is about 9.5 trillion kilometers. 9.5 trillion kilometers, that's one light year, and the diameter of the The universe, by the best guess of scientists today, is 93 billion light-years. That is very, that's too big for my brain to handle, okay? Um, Scientists, by their conservative estimates, says that there are 10 trillion galaxies in the known universe. 10 trillion galaxies. We live in the Milky Way galaxy, and we live orbiting a single star in that galaxy and there are 10 trillion of these galaxies, they estimate that every galaxy has roughly 100 billion stars. So in the known universe, there would be one septillion stars. Does anybody know that number, septillion? It's a one followed by 24 zeros. I don't know about you, I am not smart enough to comprehend that number. So for something that big, let's, let's bring it closer to home. When I think about God's glory in creation, I think about this. I think about El Capitan, the chief in Yosemite National Park in California. How many of you have been there? Anybody out there seen El Cap? Okay, I personally have not. It's on my bucket list because I'm a rock climber. I, a, I live in a family of rock climbers. My kids climb competitively. I'm going to do a shameless plug here. If you're on Instagram, follow my kids at Chan Kids Climbing. We need more followers. <laughs> really followers? Yeah, yeah, follow. Them. <laughs> and if you ever want to go climbing, give me a shout. I'd be happy to do it with you. So I think about El Cap because this is just this glorious, sheer, impressive, three thousand foot rock face in the center of this park. I mean, just look at how beautiful it is. And when I think about God and His glory and creation, I think about. Um, El Cap. Now, for those of you who, who may not have a sense of scale, I've, I've, I've put another thing up here, so take a look at this. So if you've been to the Eiffel Tower in Paris, that'll give you some idea of how big and how massive El Cap is, okay? And some of these other man-made structures against this very impressive mountain face. But when I, when I think about El Cap and, and the glory of God in creation, it's not just that. I also think about this man, Alex Honnold. This is Alex Honnold, who uh, in, in June of 2017, he, he did what no person before him, and, and quite frankly, probably no person after him will ever do, this fantastic feat of human achievement. He climbed El Cap 3,000 feet on this route called Freerider, and he did that without the aid of any ropes or harnesses. He did that just with his hands and his feet. So, he's on there. He's the, he's the, um, he's in this documentary called Free Solo, which actually just won the Academy Award for Best Documentary in 2018. And in it, one of his friends describes describes this feat like this. He said, it's like training your entire life as a gymnast or as a whatever, swimmer, whatever it is, for an Olympic sport, training your entire life for gold, and then executing that perfectly, to win the gold, because if you didn't win the gold, you would die. That is what Alex Honnold did. Now, you're you're probably asking me, why does that reveal to you, Kevin, the glory of God? I'll tell you why. Because Alex Honnold was created by God. God made him this way. He gave him the singular focus to accomplish this um, unmatched feat in the history of humanity. He also made his brain, in a way, this covers it in the, in the, um, in the documentary. Uh, Alex Honnold's brain doesn't work like the rest of ours. In our brain, we have this little center called the amygdala that governs fear. Okay, When we have fear stimuli, it lights up. They did an, F, uh, an MRI on him. His fear center doesn't light up. <laughs> so God did that <laughs> so that Alex Honnold could climb this mountain. Alex Honnold didn't go out and set, he he didn't set out to glorify God by climbing this. God is probably the last thing on Alex's mind. But when I see what is possible and what God made possible through a man like Alex Honnold, I cannot but give him praise and glory. Not only that, God could have put El Cap in the world just for us to look at, but he didn't. He made it climbable. He made it possible for someone like Alex Honnold to come along and climb it and show forth his glory and show forth his pleasure. God reveals himself to us in creation. He reveals himself to us in awe-inspiring events. Alex Honnold summiting, free-soloing El Cap to me is one of those awe-inspiring events. There is an awe-inspiring event in, in the Bible, uh, historically, where, um, where God delivers the, Egypt, uh, the, the Israelites out of Egypt. And when they stand at the Red Sea and they cannot cross, they cry and they wail and lament. What are they going to do? And Moses, through the power of God, parts the Red Sea so they could pass through. In response, the Israelites sing these words. He says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed in his glory, triumphed over the Egyptians. But maybe even that's too big for you, or too far away, that doesn't connect with you. Maybe you need to know about some of the more everyday miracles in our lives, the everyday awe-inspiring events. I had an experience this past week that I didn't think I would have again. Um, as Some as you know, my, my wife, Grace, and I, we have four children. The eldest is 15 now, the youngest is 8, we have two boys and two girls. And um, every pregnancy that we had, she gave birth to them um, without the use of any drugs. It was a natural birth. She went and she felt every last moment of pain of, of, those, uh, of, of labor. And so my wife is truly my hero. But when I, when I picked up, you know, Karis, my eldest, Karsten, my youngest, every, everyone, Kayla, Christian, all four of them, that moment where um, as miraculous as the birth is in and of itself, that the very awe-inspiring moment for me is, is that first look I, I, I take at, at this beautiful face, this beautiful life, and my heart blossoms, you No, know, it really explodes with love. I can't explain that. I, don't, I can't tell you where that love comes from. And to me, it, it can only come from God. And so, you know, I had this experience with all of my four kids, and of course, we're done having kids because four is just too many. <laughs> but this past week, my sister gave birth to her second, uh, a boy. His name is Theodore Justin. Uh, Theo, or Teddy, or TJ, we haven't decided what we're going to call him yet. Maybe Dory. Dory might be a good one, actually. But when i held him just hours after his birth the same thing happened my heart just ran over with love for this for this child i wasn't expecting it to happen but it did and i can only explain it with god being there and god revealing his glory to me in the midst of my family I want you to close your eyes for a sec, because I, I want you to imagine this scene. I want you to imagine a young child just running carefree, gleefully, through um, a grassy field. And he or she has um, a long sheet of tin tinfoil, and, and he's holding it up behind, waving it like a flag, and just running through this field on a very sunny day. I want you to picture that. A Christian poet, Gerard Manley Hopkins, wrote this. He says, The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. You can open your eyes. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. Can you see it? The way that God's glory is revealed in the world. It comes in brilliant flashes and it cannot be mistaken, is the the very sun itself burning and shining and reaching our eyes. But the same way that you could not look at the sun, you could not look at this brilliant, brilliant flashing from the shook foil, because if you did, it would burn a hole in your retina, and that would be bad. You cannot look directly at the sun. In the same way, none of us can gaze directly at the face or the glory of God. You cannot do that without being consumed. It's very clear in the Old Testament. God says that numerous times to people. You cannot see me in the fullness of my glory, the fullness of my person and my being. Throughout Israel's history, God's glory was always veiled. He would show up like a fiery furnace, but always encased and veiled in cloud and in smoke. And that's how he would appear to the Israelites. And God in all his glory was only glimpsed by Moses once Moses, the foremost prophet of Israel, the one who would speak to God as a friend, even he only ever caught a glimpse of God's glory. As the story goes, the Israelites have um, escaped from Egypt, but in a shocking act of apostasy, they have asked Aaron to create for them a God, a golden calf, a golden image, so that they can worship it. Moses is up on Mount Sinai at the time. He's receiving the Ten Commandments in the form of tablets from God. And when he comes down, he sees this. And out of anger, he destroys these tablets. And in doing so, he thinks this covenant is gone. When God says, I will be your God and you will be my people, how is that going to continue when Israel is acting like this? Really saying no to God. But God in in a surprising grace, forgives them and welcomes them back in to his covenant. As they were um, wandering through the desert at that time, they would live in tents, and at the center of their um, where they would live would be the Tent of Meeting. And the Tent of Meeting is where God would meet with Moses. And so Moses would approach the Tent of Meeting, and then a cloud of smoke would descend upon it like a pillar and stand at the door. And, and Moses and God would meet in this way. Again, God veiled in his glory. And when the Israelites saw this cloud, of this, this cloud, this pillar of smoke, they would go to the doors of their tents and they would worship, and they would worship him from afar. In one of these meetings, Moses was pleading with God, pled with God and said, you have promised that you know me and that you would reveal yourself to me and that you would be true to your word and you would be to us our God and we, your people. You have chosen us out of every race and you have made us your own. So will you please show us where we are going because I don't know. Will you show me your glory? Moses asked God to show him his glory. And this is how God responds. In Exodus 33, he said, I will make my glory pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, which is the Lord or Yahweh. And so God takes Moses up to Mount Sinai again. But what he does is he says to Moses, he says, there is a cleft in this rock. Because I love you and I don't want you to be consumed by my glory, I am going to put you in this rock, in this cleft. And then as I pass by, I will shield you with my hand and you will be able to see not my face, but my back and my glory therein. And as I pass by you, I will say these words to you. The Lord the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I will reveal to you my character through words. I will show you my identity. I will quantify with words my glory to you. And these are the words that I will say. God reveals himself to Moses through these words. God reveals his identity, his name, and his character to Moses. Now, If we look at a, a John 17, verse 5, let's look at that again. Let's tie this all back together. And now, Father, glorify me, says Jesus, in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Does that remind you of, of any other bit from, from the book of John? Do you remember when we preached from John chapter 1, like 50 years ago, you remember that? John chapter 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. These are the words of Jesus, Jesus Himself, the Word of God, becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. You see, the dwelling place of God was no longer a tent, it was no longer a cloud of smoke. It was a human being, a human being in flesh who could be seen, who could be touched, who could be heard. Jesus, the man. For John, glory is the visible revelation of God's character. It is the visible revelation of God's character. In essence, glory is what one would see if one could see the very face of God. It's what one would see if they could see the very face of God. And in Jesus, we see the very face of God. You see this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So if you go back to Exodus, where, where God reveals himself to Moses, saying that he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he's saying, this is who I am. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, and again in 17, it says, Jesus, he came full of grace and truth. This is the same phrase. He's saying, Moses, I showed myself to you in this way through my words by glimpsing my glory from behind, but now you can see my glory face to face in the person of Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth, my character on display through him. So again, in John chapter 1, verse 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, the law was grace and truth in words. That was God's way of communicating himself. His self-revelation was through the law and the keeping of the law. And that's what Moses had. But now in Jesus, we have grace and truth incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ himself, in Christ who is now the audible word made visible flesh. What God started on Mount Sinai, he finished with Jesus And what we know is that God gave himself fully to you and me, his complete self-revelation to us through the person of Jesus Christ. He held nothing back. And so God then reveals his glory through his son, Jesus, and he reveals it in the flesh. God reveals his glory through his son, Jesus. But not only through his son, Jesus, through the glorification of his son, Jesus. God reveals his glory through Jesus Glorification. For John, glorification is about, um, just quite frankly, it's about Jesus' death. Jesus is glorified as he dies upon the cross. The glorification that John speaks of is at once humiliation. And that's the paradox of God. He doesn't come in might, He does not come in power. His glorification, the glory he is given is found in his humiliation. That cannot be said of any other religion out there except ours. Jesus' glorification was accomplished in his humiliation and his death. Um, This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. It was the beginning of uh, the season of Lent. For those of you who may not be familiar, the season of Lent historically and traditionally um, is the 40 days leading up to Easter. It's a time when Christians all over the world take time to sometimes to fast, but really to reflect upon the place of God in their own lives, what he calls them to, what he has done, what Christ has done on the cross through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And so it's apropos that that we think about these things, that we reflect on the glorification of our Savior in these these weeks leading up to Easter. Because there was a humiliation in Christ's glorification. But the incarnation itself was God's supreme loving act of complete self-revelation to us. Jesus said it over and over again, especially in John's Gospel. If you see the Son, you see the Father. If you see, if you know the Son, you know the Father. If you have seen me, then you know him. And Jesus on the cross, this humiliation that he suffered and the resurrection finally displays God's love um, in the ultimate way. John 15, 13. Greater love is no one than this that somebody lay down his life for his friends. Jesus lived this out perfectly for all of us. Jesus' death reveals the Father's character of gracious, steadfast love. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. Every word he spoke, every deed he committed was to give glory to the Father. And lastly, Jesus' glorification needs to be met by our response. Not simply our response, but our responsibility. John 15, 8 says this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God saved us, Jesus glorified the Father and, and, and himself was glorified. Not for our own good, not because we were lovely, not because we were cute or deserved it, but because we have a goal, we have a task. And so we, as God's people, we glorify him by declaring and demonstrating the good news about Jesus. We glorify God by declaring and demonstrating the good news about Jesus. Jesus glorified the Father with everything that he had to the very end and you are you and i are tasked with the same work. Guys, i want you to take just take this thought for a moment, okay? Moses, the greatest prophet in Israel's history who showed up at the transfiguration to hang out with Jesus, right? That guy only caught a glimpse of God's glory. God doesn't put us in the cleft of a mountain. He doesn't have to shield us with his hand to protect us from his all-consuming glory. He has shown us his very face because we have seen the face of Jesus, our Savior. And because we have seen the face of Jesus, our Savior, our only response is to go with him in what he is doing in the world. Randy Pausch the computer science professor we talked about earlier, he ultimately died in July of 2009. Did you notice what I did there? I started with Randy Pausch, and now I'm ending with Randy Pausch. Bookends. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He said this. He says, we cannot change the cards that we are dealt, just how we play the hand. We can't change the cards that we're dealt, but we have a responsibility in how we play the hand that we are given. This is the life we live in the presence of our God and Savior, by glorifying him, by making much of Jesus. We're going to respond now with um, with a song called The King of My Heart. This song speaks of orienting our lives with God's love for God's glory. In the second verse, it says, let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sail. Let him be the power that gives me direction. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins. Let let me burn with the love of God that fuels my very life. Let the king of my heart be the echo of my days. Let it reverberate in my actions day after day after day so that the world will know that God is to be glorified and magnified and exalted the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Father, your love knows no ends. Your glory fills the whole earth, as your word tells us, God. And we just want to take part in that glory. We want to glorify you. We want to lift up your name and exalt your Son, Jesus Christ, in the world so that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Father, we love you. Continue to work in our hearts. Show us your face. Do not be far from us. Draw near, even as we draw near to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.